0: Rekona e purangi tēnei nā
1: te nei irirangi o Aotearoa. Ngā mihi nui. I'm Alison Balance and welcome to this Hour Changing World podcast from RNZ. Vokia Abraham's is a Victoria University of Wellington psychologist. She works in environmental behaviour change. Her research focuses on human behaviour in relation to a range of environmental issues such as energy use and travel mode choice. That is What's it going to take to make us save energy or use the car less? I begin by asking her about environmental psychology.
2: Environmental psychology broadly looks at people's relationships with the natural and the built environment. So environmental psychologists will look at things like people's connectedness to the natural environment and do people who feel a strong connection to nature, do they also engage in more environmentally protective uh, behaviours? Environmental psychology looks at... Uh, what is known as place attachment so the meaningful relationships that people have with places and whether that again kind of can help foster in- environmental engagement um, so it's a very broad field in that sense we, we look at a lot of different things but broadly it's about the relationships between people and the environment and how can we kind of improve situations so that it has better outcomes for both people and as well as the environment
1: So you do research into how to encourage pro-environmental behaviour?
2: Yes, yes. So that's my kind of research interest and expertise. So I look at what motivates people to engage in pro-environmental behaviour, what are the barriers for people to engage in pro-environmental behaviour, and how can we use and and know how effective behaviour change interventions are to change people's behaviour.
1: So from a general sense... It's not enough just to give people information.
2: No, no. So it's in a way a bit ironic because information provision is probably one of the more widely used approaches. And information provision can be effective in terms of raising awareness, right? So if people don't really know about, for example, the impacts of climate change or about sort of the environmental impacts of the behaviors they do in their daily life, right? what can I do to reduce my carbon footprint? So obviously, information plays a really important role, um, but it tends to increase people's awareness but it does not automatically translate into behavior change so you'd need sort of broader kind of approaches to to make that happen so what
1: kind of things do you then need to do to actually get people to change behaviors give me a couple of examples
2: i guess the first thing i'll say is that behavior change is pretty Hard. I mean, speaking from my own experience, and maybe you can think of your own kind of life where you've decided to make a change and it hasn't exactly happened. New Year's resolutions may be an example of that. Um, and so behavior change is really difficult. And so what psychologists do is really look at understanding people's motivations. And if we know what motivates people, then we can perhaps design better more effective behaviour change intervention. So an example of that is uh, the use of social norms. So research in psychology has for years now shown that people are often guided by what other people do. So our behaviour is influenced by what, what we see other people do. So, for example, in Wellington, jaywalking is, a, is an example. So you often see people jaywalking, they look at, the, you know, other people are crossing the road, so they will follow without necessarily looking at the on coming traffic, uh, saying thank you to the bus driver—those are sort of things that you do in your daily life. That a lot of people are doing it. So, so especially as a newcomer, I mean, I've, I'm relatively new to New Zealand, so I noticed that, and so you kind of copy that behaviour. Uh, you saw a similar thing with face masking when it wasn't yet mandated, for example, on public transport. I caught myself looking around, so how, you know, how many people are wearing masks, and should I be wearing masks? And so knowing that social norms affect our behavior can then be used as part of interventions and that, that's what a lot of people um, including myself have done so when for example your households are told that their neighbors are saving electricity that that can spur action on their part as well so when you know that your neighbors are saving energy or saving electricity then studies have shown that that's an effective way to encourage behavior change so it's a bit of a long-winded answer to your question but it's really i guess the broader point i'm trying to make is that it's important to look at what motivates people before kind of launching into an intervention that may or may not work it's really important to know if we know what motivates people then that can help us to inform better interventions or by better I mean more effective interventions
1: so in terms of your research into lowering energy use Mm. what have been some effective interventions there
2: so I've actually also looked at information provision, and this was a study I did in my home country in the Netherlands. We we looked at what is known as tailored information. Uh, that's a type of information that's much more specific to specific individuals. So again, rather than giving... Very general, generic information about the need to save on your electricity or your uh, or energy consumption more generally. We gave households very specific advice that was relevant to their specific situation. So if people didn't have, say, a dishwasher, we wouldn't give them advice on how to use it efficiently. We used an online platform for that as well, which allowed us to do that. So, So that was reasonably effective. We used information but in a way that was much more specifically geared towards individual households rather than a general approach.
1: So was that as specific as for your household, why don't you use energy-saving light bulbs, you could turn the lights off more you could turn your hot water thermostat down.
2: Yes. So we asked them uh, a bunch of questions about what appliances they had, how often they used them, and then we gave them, based on that, we gave them advice on what they could do to save energy. Uh, so we also looked at transport. We had um, commuting to, to work in school, so it involved the entire household, which proved more difficult to change than uh, than electricity consumption. So, yeah, we gave them a, a whole bunch of tips about things that they could do. We also gave them a goal to strive for because research from psychology also suggests that if people have a goal, that that acts as a motivator to change your behavior. Uh, And we also gave them feedback about how they were doing. So again, feedback is shown to be a motivator for behaviour change because you can get a sense of how effective your actions are um, and that was the, the idea of the project. So so it used a combination of interventions, so it was informa- tailored information, goal setting and, and feedback and that was an, an effective approach in terms of reducing... Uh, energy consumption.
1: So people like knowing, gosh, I've cut my power consumption by 10%. Yes. I I feel good about that.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: So the public transport one or changing modes of transport, tell Mm -hmm. me a bit more about
2: that. So this was in the Netherlands. So we asked people about their um, transport choices for short trips, so shorter than five kilometres, because we assumed that that would be something that they could find an alternative for, such as cycling and perhaps public transport. But what we found was that that was much more difficult for people to change than other researchers have also found this that transport choices are very strongly habitual and habits are very hard to to change and so it would require perhaps a, a different kind of intervention to to try and change people's travel habits but some research i've been involved with here in New Zealand, working with Greater Wellington and also uh, most recently with wellington city council is is looking at uh, travel plans again, looking at tailored information when people want to commute from from A to B or from their home to their office. What are some options that they could take, for example, I was involved in evaluating the let 's carpool scheme, which is still running, I believe, and so Again, the literature suggests that the main barrier for people to start carpooling is that they can't find a match. They don't know who else might be might be going to the same destination, and so they developed this website which allowed people to find matches. And me and Michael Keel, my colleague from Otago, helped evaluate that. So we found a, an effect of, of that approach.
1: It's getting people to change transport habits m- more difficult because it's actually not just about them; it's about the system and the physical environment yes. that they're operating in.
2: Yes, absolutely. And so, so I think. The literature also indicates that transport choices are very much guided by the infrastructure that's available. And obviously, if there's no public transport available, then people are not going to be able to use it. Having said that, there are people who live very close to dedicated cycle lanes, but who do not cycle. And there are also people who live far away from infrastructure, but they will still, they are dedicated cyclists. And the same with walking, for example. So there is an element where, sure, infrastructure plays a very important role, but at the same time we also need to look at. If you build new infrastructure, will people also use them? And I think the evidence is not necessarily clear on that. Do things ever backfire?
1: Like People do something and then change another behaviour as a result, which actually undoes, in a sense, the first one?
2: Yeah, so I haven't done research on this myself, but this is a phenomenon known as moral licensing. So if you do something good for the environment, say you start recycling or you start carpooling or whatever, that that gives you a moral license to do something not so good. So um, as I said, I haven't done research on this myself, but there is some evidence to suggest that this might be happening. So people uh, kind of compensate in a way, if you will.
1: We like to reward ourselves, don't we?
2: Yes. Yes.
1: (laughs) So what are you working on at the moment?
2: I'm working with um, the Director of Sustainability, Andrew Wilkes, on a project looking at the effect that the lockdown and COVID has had on behaviours on of staff and students on campus because in a way the lockdown has been a disruption of our habits Uh, and as I said, habits are really difficult to change but sometimes habit disruptions can provide interesting opportunities to understand people's behaviour. So for example, other related examples could be when people move house or when they move offices, their normal routines are disrupted so they might reconsider, for example, their transport choices or other, other things they do. So we're looking at covid uh, and the lockdown, and and looking at interviewing staff and students, and looking at what happened, what have they changed, what have they maintained, um, and um, yeah, with a view to kind of see if we can encourage sustained behaviour changes. Yeah,
1: I'm thinking of COVID as well, uh, having unintended consequences in terms of things like uh, getting people to use more active transport or to use public transport because suddenly with COVID. A bus might not feel like mm. such a safe thing to do. Getting back in my car might feel safer. Mm.
2: Yes. Yes, I, don't, I haven't seen any data on that or I'm not familiar, but that is definitely something that, that will have happened. At the same time, people will have been perhaps working from home a lot more, so not using any transport at all. But yeah, I think there's probably a lot of research happening at the moment about how COVID has has impacted our daily routines and, and also perhaps where it may have increased our impact uh, as opposed to reduced our impact in terms of people shifting to a different, you know, to cars rather than public transport, yeah.
1: Thanks Vokia. Vokia Abraham's is an environmental psychologist at Victoria University of Wellington. I'm Alison Balance in this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ, first aired on the 4th of February 2021. You can find photos and links at our webpage rnz.co.nz slash Our Changing World. And the subscription link for the free email newsletter is at the bottom of the page. You can also subscribe to us as a podcast, RNZ Science, wherever you listen to podcasts. Do check out the podcast tab at rnz.co.nz. You'll find some great audio and video series there on a wide range of topics. We're on Facebook and Twitter as RNZ Science. Many thanks for your company. Namihi.